Hi, I'm Tony Mala, and welcome to the ASA Podcast, a program for automotive professionals that helps keep you ahead of what's now, what's new, and what's next in the business of automotive service and collision repair. This podcast is brought to you by the Automotive Service Association, dedicated to driving your success. And we'll be sharing information, insight, and inspiration that will not just help you make a living, it will help you make a difference. Hi, this is Tony Mala, and I'm broadcasting from the MSO Symposium in Las Vegas at the Mandalay Bay, talking now with Vincent Romans, managing partner and CEO of the Romans Group and well-known industry analyst. Hi, Vincent. How are you doing, Tony? Thanks for being with us today. You did a dynamite presentation here at the MSO Symposium, and I wanted to bore in on a couple of questions uh, to give our audience a, a flavor for what was being discussed. First of all, this is your eighth year at the MSO Symposium, right? Yeah, I participated in all eight, and I ran the second one myself. Which would explain why they wanted you back. <laughs> and you are an industry analyst. You gave a rather impressive group of statistics. Mm-hmm. Well, let's dive right into it. One of the things you talked about was initial public offerings, IPOs, as being a big factor. Do you see IPOs growing in the years ahead? So I think I can say that in 2019, there is a high probability that before the, the presidential election, that we should see at least one IPO if the market conditions allow it. And it's no secret that IPO that is expected and anticipated is uh, caliber. I see. Beyond that, I don't see any near-term IPOs besides caliber. The size of the organizations at this point don't seem to warrant additional IPOs in the near term. What about private equity? You had mentioned a lot of private equity is coming into the collision market. Do you see that growing or continuing? Absolutely. Um, As I mentioned, uh, a first-of-its-kind private equity investment with an MSO under $50 million in annual revenue took place this year in 2019. Wow. And that was A&M Capital, which invested in Crash Champions, a multiple location operator in the Chicago market. And you think the private equity stake in the, in the collision industry is definitely destined, destined to grow more and more as we go forward? Well, I, I know that a number of MSOs are having active discussions with private equity today. Private equity approaches me on a regular basis to help them identify potential investments. Mm. And that activity continues. And you see that as a richer target environment, if you will, than the, uh, than the IPO at this point. Yes, I do. Interesting. During your talk, again, which was fascinating, you had talked about a few things that are definitely market disruptors and dynamics going forward. One of them you called secular trends, and you described them as having earthquake effects. Can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. So in my talk, I wanted to try to paint a picture of what the macro environment looks like today for the collision repair industry and the autophysical damage landscape the larger autophysical damage landscape. And these secular trends, which are meaningful, strong, expected to continue into the future, they're not going to arrive and end. There are a number of them. And one of them is one of the obvious, which continues. And that secular trend has been going on since right after the recession. That is consolidation within 
the collision repair industry, but as I pointed out, within all segments that are in the, the auto physical damage ecosystem. Additionally, and, and, a, and a secular trend, as I said, feels like, a, I think, to many players in the industry, like an earthquake. It really shakes the foundation of businesses to, who have to decide what they do to either make it an opportunity, one of these secular trends, or to mitigate or minimize the risk and liability associated with them. Another one would be OE certification programs. Hmm. It's, in my opinion, a nascent secular trend just recently has the momentum and the proliferation of these OE certification programs picked up. But there's no indication today that despite thousands of OE certifications within the collision repair industry, that cars are actually being delivered to those who have the certification. Most of the time, those cars happen by happenstance. They happen to be close to a given shop that's also a certified shop. And it's not because of what will happen, I believe, in the future, the direction and influence of telematics. Once telematics kicks in at the car level and when an airbag is deployed and or an accident occurs, the OEs indicate that they're going to use their embedded telematics capability to have their first notice of loss intervene during that accident or right after the accident, and they will then attempt to influence those cars to OE certified shops. When that happens, then that is good for the OE repair standard and is also good for those repairers who have invested and taken the risk to join OE certification programs, made the investment in training and equipment and certification. Additionally, another one of these secular trends that has just started within the last couple years is artificial intelligence and its impact on claims processing. And the artificial intelligence is created through machine learning and computer vision. Mm -hmm. And what I mean is the machine learning is based on algorithms developed by humans who then draw on large databases of information and then current information that is fed to them via accidents to create a human-like approach to an estimate. They're far from creating that, what I called, artificially created baby, in this case, estimate, Mm -hmm. without human intervention. So right now, what we have is an estimate with human intervention that's audited, and it's being tested in various areas today. That is coupled with computer vision that is looking at millions and millions of images of car accidents and car damage, and they're bringing in the interpretation of the computer with these algorithms to decide how much it costs to repair that vehicle based on new photo estimates that are taken on a self-serve basis by consumers or by adjusters for the insurance company. 
So it sounds like the technology advances are going to affect the insurance process even more in some ways than it does the repair process. Is that a fair estimate? Absolutely. And remember, though, it's a chain effect. If it affects the insurance industry and they adopt it, it will have some long-term secular trend impact, which, in my opinion, is earthquake-like because it's going to rumble the foundation of collision repairers to do something about it, to accommodate it or to avoid it. You had mentioned telematics, which is always a big topic in the industry right now. And I know that there's lots going on in the halls of Congress trying to decide things like data security and privacy issues and that sort of thing. But the simple telematics themselves, the ability, physical ability to send information on an accident, dispatch emergency vehicles, whatever, you had tied that into the OE certification. Do you see the growth in telematics driving more OE certification programs within the independent shop community? I don't think they can drive more any faster. I think a good percentage of repairers, independents, and dealers who want to stay in business believe they should participate in OE certification programs. I don't think telematics is going to drive it any faster. I think once telematics is open full throttle by the OEM within the consumer's car through that embedded technology, Mm -hmm. when there's an accident, that might accelerate shops to consider participating who haven't. But they still have the challenge of wanting to spend the money on training and equipment which in order to meet the OE repair standard of safe and quality repair Mm -hmm. and, you know, using OE parts and doing everything that needs to be done to the car to repair it, including full scanning and full calibration. The conversation over OE repair standards would seem to lend itself to that vision that you just drew. Do you think we'll be seeing more emphasis on using OEM repair standards more for the fact that it's part of the certification process than any other driver? I think this is also one of those secular trends, the OE repair standard. Now, let me make it clear. There is nothing wrong with the insurance repair standard, as I call it. Mm -hmm. They want safe and proper repairs, but they see how to get there differently than the OE. Some of the insurance companies prefer to have aftermarket parts put on to reduce the cost of the repair. Mm -hmm. OEs prefer and desire to have OE parts put on so that they can sell OE parts as part of the dealership relationship with OEs. Well, the OE repair procedures, I know there's a lot of conversation around that because a lot of procedures don't exist. And we're still in the process, I think, of developing some of those things. And in many ways, I know a lot of the procedures touch on actually technology issues, things like scanning that you mentioned, and also the recalibration requirements for some of the advanced driver assist systems that are becoming more prevalent on vehicles today. So those two combinations of technology, like ADAS systems, et cetera, and the desire for correct repair procedures, as driven by things like the need for calibration and scanning, would seem to uh, bear out that the OE procedures themselves are becoming more important, but also that the insurance industry standards, I don't know that they actually should be called standards. I know the insurance industry processes themselves often, as you say, result in a complete and safe repair. But I know there's been some conversation uh, on exactly, for example, 
what does need to be scanned, when does it need to be scanned, that sort of thing. Are you seeing those types of questions coming up and affecting any of the data that you're collecting? Well, they're coming up every day, and it's becoming more and more of an issue between the insurance industry and the OEM industry as to when and how to scan and calibrate. Mm -hmm. But there is a groundswell within the collision repair industry from all the associations, from all the industry leaders to adopt the OE standard as defined by any one of the OEs as part of their procedures that collision repairers have access to. Now, one of the complaints collision repairers have today is the OE repair procedures are not always available and as clear as they would like them to be. So the OEMs have a responsibility to improve that if that is truly an issue. I've heard it is. To what degree it is, I'm not sure, but it has surfaced. But the OE repair standard is supported. There's a groundswell of support across the collision repair industry, more than I've ever seen in my 30-some, 35 years in the industry. Hmm. And I believe that groundswell of support from all the constituent groups within the industry will continue to help drive that. And I think the insurance industry will start to adopt more, not necessarily all, but more of the OE procedures because they want to minimize their risk and liability also with the technology that's in the cars today. The autonomous vehicle question, does that factor into any of this, or is that just part of the technology mix that we're dealing with? The autonomous vehicle factor is a long-term, you, I could call it a secular trend also, but it is so far out there because we're only at level one, and there are six levels of autonomy, and the infrastructure is not out there right now. Lots of testing going on. It will happen in in this century, I'll say. We will see fully level six autonomous vehicles driving around. And I see this happening in small markets, small cities, small designated areas. But it still requires human intervention to drive even a autopilot or semi-autonomous vehicle. Hmm. I can tell you that because I have a Tesla, I drive a Tesla, and I've been researching it on my own as an actual driver. Many of the studies I've read, no one agrees on how soon, but they all seem to agree that it's probably going to be more of an urban issue, densely populated areas than than anything of a rural nature. But let me switch gears a little bit and talk numbers. You're all about the data. And during your presentation, you were talking about the industry currently being at $36.9 billion. And I think you mentioned 2% growth. Do you see that level of growth continuing or accelerating? Absolutely. The severity is increasing, according to CCC, by 4 to 5% a year. Mm. But as frequency slowly, and I want to emphasize, slowly balances down in a downtrend, there's no cliff here. There's no cliff of falling off of the number of claims. But we do see a more aggressive uptick in severity. So severity will continue to drive the increase in market size. And for those who are in the industry, if they can capture those claims, it's going to be good for them for the next number of years.
The other statistic that struck me was you were talking about the number of shops, and you showed a decline. I think it was uh, down 31,000 and change, if I'm not mistaken. Well, that's my projection for the end of 2020. Do you see the demographic changing to being fewer but larger shops? How do you think that dynamic is going to change? Well, yes. Eventually, I do see fewer and somewhat larger. You know, there's a sweet spot when it comes to production in a shop. And it depends on who you talk to, but what I've seen is anywhere from 15,000 to 25,000 square feet of operating space tends to be, depending on how you set it up, a sweet spot for a size of how a shop can get maximum efficiency. Do you see fewer but larger shops ahead? I do. And it's not a cliff where the number of shops will fall off drastically. It will be, again, a downward slope until the need to be OE certified if that OE repair standard prevails and to have the training, spend the money on the training and the equipment. Some shops won't be able to do that. You know, there's a sweet spot of operating square space that tends to be the target for most MSO consolidators, and that's between 15,000 and 25,000 square feet. Hmm. A lot of smaller operators may not be able to accommodate that kind of size. They also may not be able to accommodate the training and equipment cost associated with it. Well, last question. I know uh, this has been fascinating. Uh, Vincent, thank you. Following up on that last point we made, do you see the market share changing? I know we've been traditionally dominated by the independent side of the marketplace. Do you see that shifting in any way more towards the MSO model? I do. And we have good data on the number of 10 million and above shops in the United States. Mm -hmm. If you look at the 10 to $19 million segment, the franchise segment, the $20 million and above segment, and what I call today the triad consolidators. They're no longer the four horsemen since Caliber purchased Abra. Uh They represent 38.7% of the market in terms of revenue processed. My forecast for 2022 on an aggressive basis, they could represent up to 50% of the revenue. Wow. And on a more likely basis, about 47 to 48% of the market. That's significant. Hmm, that is significant. Well, Vincent, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Great presentation at the MSO. We're glad you were here again for an eighth year, and we hope you'll, uh, you'll consider coming back for a ninth. I will consider it. And Tony, thanks an awful lot. Have a great day. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you're brand new to the ASA podcast or if you've been here before, I encourage you to subscribe so you won't miss some of the great things we have coming up in our future episodes. Just hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening and you'll be good to go. If you enjoy our podcast and find our content valuable, make sure to leave a rating and review wherever you are listening to this. And if you're an automotive service facility shop owner listening to this podcast and you'd like to know more about ASA, I invite you to visit our website at asashop.org. I'm Tony Mala, and thanks for listening.